wish to greet you this evening again in Jesus' name. Welcome each one who is here. Surprised to see some home folks here this evening. We're glad you could come as well. The title of this sermon this evening is Love and Forbearance in the Brotherhood. I would invite you to turn to 1 John 4, 7 through 21. I'm sure you will recognize that 1 John has a lot to say about love. We won't nearly look at every scripture we could that speaks of love here. So I'll read at this point. Excuse me, I'm going to stop while I think of it. We skipped our memory verse completely last evening and I don't want to do that. In case there's somebody that really had studied it and is ready to say it by yourselves, I'll give you that opportunity. Is there anyone that would like to say, um, my, now it slips in my mind. Thank you. I say a 57.15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that that inhabiteth eternity, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the spirit of the contrite one. Okay. Sure, I got that exactly. I think there was a few words, but got the idea. Anyone else? Thank you. Okay, very good. Let's say it all together. For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Thank you. Now, 1 John 4, 7 through 21. This passage especially has to do with love. We're thinking of love and forbearance. We want to address love, first of all. Love and forbearance in the brotherhood. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. 
And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. I was interested in looking up the word love, and you've probably heard the Greek term for love, and especially the love that we're talking about here. There are, I think, four different words in the Greek language for love, but we're talking about agape love. And someone said this about agape love. The Christians took agape, a word small and weak in classical Greek, and made it strong. They needed a word to describe the incredible concern of God for undeserving man, as portrayed in Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you think about love, the love that God had to us, that verse describes it well. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So agape is the spirit in the heart that will never seek anything but the highest good of its fellow men. Agape love is not dependent on emotion. It wills to give and sacrifice with compassion. Agape wills to love not only when people deserve love, but also when they do not deserve it. Agape love wills to build good relationships and helps regardless of the cost. And there is a lot said there. Agape love doesn't seek anything but the highest good for its fellow man isn't dependent on emotions. That's when we say that sometimes we need to choose to love even if we don't feel that love. It sacrifices with compassion. It wills to love not only when people deserve it, but also when they do not deserve it. And it wants to build good relationships regardless of the cost. So thinking about this passage then speaks a lot about love. We started in verse 7. What, where does love come from? If you look in verses 7 and 8, we have answers for that. Let us love one another. Love is of God. 
And at the end of verse 8, it says, God is love. So God is love. Love comes from God. Further than that, everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And again, I believe this is speaking of the Christian love, agape love of God. Everyone who has that kind of love is born of God and knoweth God. How do we know that God loves us? And that we have that answer in verse 9. God sent his son, his only begotten son, into the world that we might live through him. And it says on down in the passage about God sending his son into the world. And it was before we loved God that God did that. So we have then a basis for loving one another, and that is in verse 11. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And I believe that ought is more, more than a suggestion. It's we need to love one another. In fact, we'll read some other scriptures who tell us that if we don't, we are not of God. On down in verse... 20, what is the proof, what is the proof of a man loving God or not? And verse 20 tells us, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And there's a lot of admonition between the verses that I spoke of. We are to dwell in God. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we invite him into our heart. The Holy Spirit also comes into our hearts and upon us and helps us to know what is right to do if we follow him. That then gives us the ability and the desire to love one another as we ought. And I'm not going to say that it's always the easy thing to do, but it is the right thing to do. God loved us before we loved him, and we are ever ever grateful for that. Verse 16, He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. That's a verse that we memorize from little up. We love him because he first loved us. God's love comes into us and we're to let it flow out to others. Love 
is a command. Verse 21, it's a commandment. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. I would invite you to look back also in the previous chapter, 1 John 3. I'll read verses 10 through 18 there. Again, more scriptures that speak of the love of God to us and then our responsibility to love one another. In this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I'll stop reading there. Again, we notice that love is a command. We have this message from the beginning in verse 11 that we should love one another. Cain did not love his brother. Cain had the opportunity to back up and do right, but he chose instead to continue to hate his brother, and he showed that by killing him. So Cain there made choices. And I believe, again, that there are times when love for us is a choice. People don't always do loving things, and we need to choose whether or not we will love them. Verse 16 reminds us again of God's love because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Thinking about laying down our lives for the brethren, that that would be, we would say, a really big thing to lay down our lives for the brethren. Then verses 17 and 18 bring out things that we can do in this life. And are they too big to do? Whoso hath this world's good and sees a brother that has need, but he shuts up his bowels of compassion. He does not help. Question is, how dwelleth the love of God in him? God 
sent his son to this earth to die for us even before we loved him and we are responsible to show that love to others and not only in word but in deed and in truth. I realize also that God in his love at times chastens us and there are settings, for example, church leaders, parents in the home, where true love means that there needs to be chastening. Hebrews 12, 4 through 6 reminds us how that God deals with us as with children and he loves us even though there needs to be chastening. Hebrews 12, 4-6 Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. How does God chasten us? I don't know how all you think of God chastening people. Obviously, when there needs to be church discipline, we think of that as God chastening, and it can be in that form. When people go their own way and there is the consequences of sin come upon them, I believe that can be God's chastening. Think about Balaam in the Old Testament. He went against what God wanted him to do and he had a lesson taught to him by the donkey that spoke to him and rebuked him. He did continue on then, but it was did not turn out for good and I believe he he knew what was the right thing to do and he wanted to go his own way he ended up uh, now I'm getting that mixed up no Balaam didn't end up dying right then but later on he was he was killed and Things could have been different had he truly obeyed God. So God's punishment of us is for our good. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. I would invite you to Ephesians 4 thinking of this is more of an example that is the opposite of love, at least in the first part of this reading. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. 
which speaks of evil speaking. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. When I read these verses, I, I think of the corrupt communication and that type of speaking that it's saying here. I think of that among the brotherhood. It may not always be that way. But this is not love speaking this way. Tongues can be the greatest indicator of love or they can be the greatest indicator of the lack of love. James tells us a lot about the tongue. The command here is to not let corrupt communication come out of our mouths. Rather, we communicate to edify one another, to build up one another. It says that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And in fact, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we do otherwise. And then I noticed that verse 30 about grieving the Holy Spirit that is sandwiched between verses 29 and 31, both of which have to do with evil speaking, bitter communication. Verse 31 speaks of wrath and anger and clamor. Those all things... Those all are to be put away from us with all malice. That takes the Spirit of God and the love of God to do that. And then verse 32, which is a very familiar verse, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if we forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. We are to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, as God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. And that leads us then up to forbearance. I'm thinking of verse 32 as having also the idea of forbearance. Love and forbearance in the brotherhood. Go back in Ephesians 4 to verses 1 through 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And the following verses speak of the body and how there's various responsibilities in the body of Christ. 
which is for the good of the body, for the edifying, for the unity of the faith, and so on, and for the stability that would be henceforth not children tossed to and fro. But verse 2 especially mentions forbearing one another in love. What do we think of when we think of forbearing? First of all, I think about unity that is spoken of here. And I think about, even as it says in the following verses, each person having a responsibility or a place to fill in the church, whether it's seen or not seen. And so with each person in his place, whatever it is, and working toward the good of the body, loving one another, forbearing with one another, there can be a beautiful working together. Think about singing, whether it's congregational or a chorus singing. People sing together, and with each one doing his part, it brings honor and glory to God. There may be someone in the group who doesn't sing well. Still, he's making a joyful noise to the Lord with the forbearance of others. That's okay if that person or some people aren't uh, knowledgeable aren't used to singing, perhaps. They are singing for God's glory as well as the others. And there is still honor and glory brought to God. Most times, the need for forbearance in the church is not an issue of sin. It doesn't involve issues of sin. I'm thinking of perhaps personality clashes or character traits or character flaws or things that are irksome. Maybe we have pet peeves that someone else violates and we wish it would be different. Maybe there's bad etiquette or even maybe bad breath, I don't know, from personal hygiene or sometimes there are other reasons. And there is the opportunity to exercise forbearance. God forbore with us. He showed forbearance to us. There are tactful ways of addressing things among us that need to be addressed. but that needs to be done in a Christian way, in a loving way, love and forbearance in the body of Christ. The definition of forbearance, by the way, is self-restraint, tolerance, put up with, endure, suffer for the sake of unity. 
we are not all on the same level of of um, maturity. Some of us are younger, some older, and I had to think, would we be comfortable with how we were, for example, the adults, would you be comfortable with how you were at a younger age, at age 16 or 18 or even 20? Most of us have grown since then and we would be embarrassed about some things that happened back then, but somebody had forbearance toward us and we have grown and we're at a different place now. Now it's up to us to have forbearance, not, not excusing or being okay with sin. But there is, there are things that we can address in a kind way which will help one another. Galatians 6, I want to turn to there. Here is, I'm just reading a few verses here which address spiritual faults and how we are to address them. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. I'll stop reading there. Thinking about addressing spiritual faults, it is important. It says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, others who are spiritual are to restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, realizing that we ourselves can be tempted and may be tempted. There may need to be Forbearance in the area of not saying everything that we could think of to say, but holding back. And if you remember, one definition of forbearance is self-restraint. Sometimes we need to restrain ourselves. If we think we will just give the other person a piece of our mind, we should be careful. We don't. I don't have a lot of extra to give away. I don't know about the rest of you. But there is that place where we are to help one another, restore one another in the spirit of meekness. I would also invite you now to the book of Romans to look at several verses there which continue to speak of forbearance, Romans 2. First of all, Romans 2, 4. Or despisest thou the riches 
of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Here the emphasis is, again, the forbearance of God for each one of us. It says, despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering. How long did God need to work with you and with I? How many times were we convicted of sin before we responded? And each one of us needs to answer that for ourselves. God exercised forbearance to each one of us. And the result was, if we responded to God, that he led us to repentance. And it was the goodness of God that led us to repentance, not something that we ourselves did on our own strength. Romans 3, 23-25 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. We have all sinned. We have all come short of the glory of God. But we are justified freely by his grace because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, rising again for our justification. We are justified and set free from sin. And I liked how it said to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Again, God showed forbearance to each one of us. And it's our responsibility to pass on forbearance to others. I was thinking of another area of love and forbearance. Sometimes it needs to happen between leaders and the congregation. I just have one example. Leaders are to visit the elderly and the sick among us and that is a an example an outworking of the love for leaders for their congregation when they do that however sometimes that doesn't happen as often as it should then it may be up to the congregation to show forbearance when the leaders didn't always get it done Maybe there are decisions made in the congregation. Not everybody was in favor of the decision, but the congregation decided a certain thing. Is there love and forbearance among the congregation in those decisions?
love and forbearance in the congregation. They are based upon God and how God loves us. Are we willing to pass that on to others, to show to others what God has done for us? I believe it's done by words, by speaking, but it's also by action. You know how, it, how people say, what you're saying speaks so loud I can't hear. Excuse me. What you're doing speaks so loud I can't hear what you're saying. Sometimes that has to do with love in the congregation. Are we a group of people who love one another as God loves us? Are we able to forbear, to have um, self-control, restraint, put up with, suffer for the sake of unity, endure? I don't know how much God puts up with in each of our lives. But I'm thankful that he has put up with me. My challenge is that each of us would show God's love and forbearance to one another as well. Hey, God bless you. We'll call for another hymn, then I'll turn it back to our brother.